I'm gonna die. I'm gonna die historic on the Fury Road. Welcome to the Mad Max Minute, where you can cover your car in as many spikes as you want in Mad Max Fury Road, one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 21, which begins with a good example of why you shouldn't bring a motorcycle to a car fight, and it ends with a couple of buzzard cars wrapped up in a burning wreck. Our guests this week have canceled their suicide mission and replaced it with a go-for-broke rescue mission, none other than Tyler Boudreaux and Condra Boudreaux of Fantastic Mr. Vox Minute. Hello. Hi, I'm Tyler. Welcome back. Thank you for having us here. We ended Wednesday with a bit of a exciting instance of a car falling into a pit trap and Furiosa narrowly missing that same trap. We start off this minute with her pretty much breathing a sigh of relief, like, oh, that was close. Really? Is that what you saw? Yeah. <laughs> I saw the beginning of this minute as like a her, like, not as a sigh of relief, but like a brief glimpse into how nervous she actually is. <laughs> that's how i saw it too i definitely saw it as like a all right centering myself back on the mission kind of thing that might actually say more about me than it does about furiosa <laughs> i definitely think we got a little peek behind the curtain she has worked so hard in keeping her outer appearance the same nothing can seem to be wrong with her she can't let her guard down for one moment out of this whole thing she has been perfect so far yeah and we get this little tiny peek as to what's actually going on in her head and it's a dangerous moment because ace is right there mm -hmm. still looking to her for instructions i look at this situation where the rig just barely missed going into a pit and i liken it to a situation where like i'm driving down the road and i hit an icy patch and suddenly my wheels start spinning out from underneath me and then i get control of the car back and i feel like i get this situation where like okay that kind of spiked my adrenaline a little bit and now i'm refocused again and i feel like that's very similar to what furiosa is doing with the added element of oh yeah i also have someone who really shouldn't know exactly what's going on breathing down my neck and having that spike of adrenaline is normal so maybe showing that you've got a spike of adrenaline to Ace is not revealing your hand. What's different about what Furiosa is actually feeling is that her adrenaline has been up the whole time. She has never been relaxed. She has always been hiding a secret, trying to execute a plan. So her adrenaline has been high this whole time. So how do you act when your adrenaline is high and then it peaks higher? I don't know the answer to that. I think there's very few people in the world who have that particular experience. Probably people who have gone to war. I would say that's her secret. She's always angry. <laughs> <laughs> Moving outside of the rig, we get a nice wide tracking shot as one of the buzzard cars come up behind the rear escort vehicles. And they illustrate an issue that I've had Ever since that first movie, the idea that 
you've got these motorcycles and they're going up against cars. Like motorcycles are great for some things. They're fast, they're light, they're maneuverable. But in a wasteland where people are taking a more days of thunder approach to their vehicular combat, like Robert Duvall says, He didn't slam you, he didn't bump you, he didn't nudge you, he rubbed you. And rubbing son is racing. <laughs> days of Thunderdome? Now that oh, is a combination. Perfect. I would watch. I can understand why the convoy would include motorcycle escort. They can zip in and out. They can get around other vehicles where car escorts can't do that. But either these guys aren't paying attention or they're just not expecting it or they're not ready. I don't know what's going on, but that first motorcycle gets taken out super quick. The second one has a chance to throw one thunder stick and that's it. Yeah, that first motorcycle, I kind of blame the driver for that one. Yeah. The motorcycles are just as fast as cars. So there's no assumption that a car is going to outpace a motorcycle and it's more maneuverable. That first motorcycle that gets hit should have been able to outmaneuver that buggy. He will not be welcomed in Valhalla. And the fact that it gets taken out so fast with no resistance whatsoever. Poor driving. Zero stars on that Uber rating, right? Yes. <laughs> I think you get zero stars if your passenger dies. Yeah. <laughs> Although, I'm pretty sure that Warboy that's riding as a passenger gets thrown to the side. Doesn't he? Gets thrown to the side. Let's take a peek. There's the one crash where we get like... The guy that's thrown off and we get like zoomed in like his face comes right at the camera. Is it is that this guy? No, that's the second motorcycle. The second motorcycle okay. driver. Yeah. Okay. So the first motorcycle passenger. Yes, he gets thrown. It appears to be clear. I don't think it's a clean clear, though. Mm. I think he gets dragged across some of the spikes. Okay. So that's not very clean at all. No. I think it's enough to incapacitate him for more buzzards to come in later and clean him up. <laughs> and enough to not kill him so that they still have a fresh meal. Right. It's so worrisome. Buzzards are so problematic. As I mentioned, the second motorcycle at least has an opportunity to throw a thunderstick at this buzzard car. But the javelin doesn't really seem to do much. Like, sure, it hits the car. It explodes. There's flames and sparks everywhere. But it doesn't slow down the car it doesn't make it swerve it does nothing inertia it's a pretty attack it is gorgeous and it definitely clues us in for what the thunder sticks can do because this is the first time we've seen it in action right the thunder it's the first time we've seen one close up because the last time we saw a thunder stick thrown it flipped the interceptor and that was way far away oh okay okay so long ago, I don't even remember. <laughs> now, what's the difference between a thunder stick and, say, a boom boom stick from Muppet Treasure Island? Oh, it's been too long since I've seen Muppet Treasure Island. Well, a boom boom stick is a traditional pirate's flintlock pistol. <laughs> Where the thunder stick is a lot closer to the spears that the island pigs were using, except uh, replace the pointy arrowhead with a bunch of canisters filled with gasoline with an igniter on the tip More like a molotov cocktail yeah like a molotov cocktail on the end of a pole <laughs> something that would have easily dispatched the pirates that's for sure uh yeah no no tim curry <laughs> boom oh that's a shame 
So having seen one of their motorcycles taken out and following that up with the Thunderstick not being all that effective, the Warboy on the fuel pod grabs a line and using one of these arms that kind of look like flags, but they're very rigid on the back of the tanker, he leaps out from the fuel pod with his arm outstretched, and I think it's the pod Warboy who shouts Morsov. And he swings down, grabs the passenger on the motorcycle, and together they swing up onto the tanker. There's a crazy jumping, swinging, otherworldly transfer of momentum that gets these guys up onto the tanker, and it is very gymnastic. It is amazing, and I love this maneuver. It's also very communal. Yeah. This guy risks his own life to save someone else's. They all saw what happened to that first motorcycle. They are going for the second motorcycle, and they can't save them both. So they save who they can save. It's not something you see a lot of in this movie. No. The Warboys have a reputation to the viewers as... Fodder. Yeah, as blind cult members. Comma crazy. Yeah, exactly. And I don't think all of them really fall under that category. I think some of them, like the war boys on this rig, are more military men. And especially what we would think of as military men. We think of the military as honorable and brave, things like that. That's what we would want to see our military doing, our army, if they're out in a battle that one guy sacrifices his safety to save another guy. And we honor actions like that. I think it's an element of loyalty. Yeah. Primarily, the Warboys are loyal to the Immortan and the Cult of the V8, but they also have a loyalty to each other. Yeah. And the interactions with Warboys that we've had so far, specifically between Slit and Nux, Slit had no loyalty with Nux. Nux wasn't healthy enough to go, so he was just going to completely bypass Nux and leave without him, take his place. No loyalty there whatsoever. Well, I think it's a one-way relationship between Nux and Slit. Nux sees Slit as his Lancer. You know, where are you going? You're my Lancer. And Slit's seeing this situation as a chance for him to leave his friend behind so that he can get a promotion. Mm-hmm. Not an equal partnership, so to speak. And so I think that might just be Slit. I don't know. He seems like that kind of guy. He does seem like that kind of guy. That was our introduction to Warboys, and now we have this different introduction to Warboys that is very different. Condra, what do you think of this uh, little stunt? Impressive. Also, <laughs> that whole like idea of it not being physically possible under like physics laws as we understand them. The one thing I was thinking about as you were all talking, I wonder if... These war boys that are here are Furiosas specifically, so they are kind of like a brigade or a regiment that they are a lot closer together, and maybe there are other regiments that don't get along as well, and there's that dynamic element to it too, is she's got her men, and that's why like Ace follows her so well, and it is a bit more militaristic because the way she trains them. If there's any of that delineation in two. I really like that idea that this is the war rig team. Like these are the guys that are always dealing with the rig. So they know where all of the thunder sticks are kept. They know where all of the specific weapons, how they work with the gun emplacements. And they're just really comfortable on top of the rig. And they don't want to have the team broken up by something like 
getting run over by a car. <laughs> and I like the idea that Furiosa specifically is in charge of them and Ace as her captain, that she has bred a different sort of community feeling mm. in that group that they do care about each other. They do want to save each other's lives if possible. One thing that stood out to me as a detail, we were talking to Shem Herman as last week's guest. He mentioned that the name Morsov comes from early versions of the script where Nux wasn't hooked up to Max as a blood bag. Nux and Slit were actually pretty healthy, and it was Morsov who was in the blood hospital who was like, stop, take me with you. I want to fight. I don't want to die here soft. So that version of the character got scrapped in the final version, but they kept the name probably because, you know, it's not a bad name. Yeah, pretty good name. Better than Nux. <laughs> Personally, I don't think I have as many negative feelings about the name Nux as Julia. I think you do. I do find it a little annoying when someone has an X as the last letter in their name because it makes it weird verbally when you try and denote possession like Nux's. It just sounds weird to me. Sounds like you're overdoing it. Yeah. Plus, I'm naturally hissy anyway, so it doesn't do me any favors. F, Mary, kill, Nux, Hux, and someone else. But I couldn't think of anyone that had an Ux name. So, <laughs> so all right. Uh, let's do um, F, Mary, kill, Nux, Hux, or a million bucks. Um, <laughs> I would probably... Kill Nux, because he's probably got too many cancers anyway, and it's probably put him out of his misery. <laughs> Send him to Valhalla. Uh, I would F Hux, because yeah, power is attractive, <laughs> and I would marry a million bucks, because it's a million dollars. Duh. <laughs> I can be alone and happy with a million dollars. <laughs> Julia, how about you? Oh, um... You can replace the million bucks with whatever you want. Just make sure it rhymes. <laughs> no, actually, I'm going to go with the same the same choices. Nux is going to die anyways. Hux, that's dangerous because if you're going to do like a one night stand type deal with somebody who's that powerful, if they disagree with the one night stand status, you could be in trouble. He could come after you and if he's so powerful. So that's a little bit dangerous, but that's fine. But definitely go the long-term relationship with the million bucks. Yeah. All right. I will counter my own decisions by saying that you look at Nux in this movie and Nicholas Holt, he got pretty jacked to play this role. He's got some good figure to him. I mean, if you're into scarification is all. <laughs> Tyler, what about you? Would you replace million bucks with something <laughs> else or just stick with the three there? I was thinking like a guy in a tux. <laughs> oh oh okay well then I, if it's a guy in a tux i mean him. you marry the guy in a tux right <laughs> that's kind of what weddings are <laughs> Condra, what's your uh two cents on this i don't know initially under the original including a million bucks i was in the agreement with you i think the man in a tux i might switch hucks and the man in a tux <laughs> You're going to marry Hux? You could use that to your advantage in ways. <laughs> he probably has way more than a million bucks. Plus, you have um, quick true. access to Kylo Ren. And if you're a, if you're a Kylux, then you, who knows where things could go. 
Yeah, I'm I'm not sure. I don't think I'd get behind that whole scenario in general. (laughs) (laughs) I will say about Nicholas Holt, I, I wanted to get this out there at some point while I was on the show. Nicholas Holt definitely, for me, is the centerpiece of the film. He is the character whose perspective changes within the film the most. And if we look at film like as a medium centered around changing perspective in the most simple way, the film of the train coming and people freaking out of that think, think the train's going to hit them. If we think of film as changing perspective, then Nux is the character in this film that represents it most. And then we also have the meta aspect of Fury Road as a whole being an important film because it worked to change the audience's perspective of how movies could work. We can get a movie like this that isn't very complex, but still has great action, great characters. It's simple, but effective. And I think Fury Road will be remembered through the annals of history as one of the most important movies of this decade, or maybe of all time, because of the way it changed audiences' perspective on how action can work on film. I definitely agree with that. Yeah. And I just wanted to get that out there at some point. (laughs) Yeah. We mentioned that the war boy on the motorcycle, whether he's Morsov or the guy swinging is Morsov, he gets off of the bike and onto the tanker. The war boy left on the motorcycle is not so lucky. He has (laughs) enough time to glance behind him and then is subsequently run over by this vehicle. And we get this insane view of him getting run over and then pushed along by the car and his face goes right up into the camera. It's very jarring. And (laughs) after that, we have to get a little bit of distance from it and go into the cab with Furiosa again, because not only did both of the motorcycles get taken out by the same car, there's also this weird buzzing sound, which seems a little appropriate for the buzzards. (laughs) And so Furiosa turns to look at the noise and it's revealed that the buzzard car not only is covered in spikes, but it has this nifty buzzsaw on the side of the car and it is trying to cut away at the tires and it would have succeeded if the tires weren't armored. Oh, I love the armor on the tires because it looks like flowers. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, it's pretty, but it is very functional. Mm, Pretty but functional. That's my motto in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and so Furiosa looks in her rearview mirror and we can see that the war boys on the tanker are just raining down javelins on this car, just one after the other and they're exploding. And you look at it and you're like, wow, they're just not damaging that car at all. Are they wasting these javelins? And I would argue no, that what the war boys are actually doing by pelting this car with javelins is they are trying to make it move further away from the tanker. They don't want it right up against the side because they don't want to damage what's in the tanker. They want this thing to move out because in the next shot we see the escort vehicle that used to be behind the tanker has come up and around the side and has passed in front of the war rig and is ready to do some real damage. These guys, they've got thunder sticks, but they've also got this turret with these four arrow looking shooter things and they launch all four barrels at the front of this buzzard car and holy cow does it explode i don't know what's <laughs> in these arrows or bolts or whatever you want to call them but they must be pure tnt or something like that because they hit the front of that car and that thing flips out yeah and when he hits the car the tnt by acdc starts playing 
Exactly. <laughs> Let's keep this going. If we're going to have ACDC do a rescore of this movie, keep it going. Now, this is the first buzzard car that we've eliminated this episode. There are three to go after it, but it certainly went out in a fantastic way. Fantastic. It's nice to see the war boys capable. We do get a tiny moment of celebration from the war boy in the back of this escort car. He gets to raise his fist and turn around. He shouts war into the camera, which seems appropriate. They're certainly very enthusiastic. I like the slow-mo. Yeah, the slow-mo is really nice because you get to see just how high that vehicle gets launched. There's no mercy there. So the war rig keeps going. We get a nice shot of the front of the war rig where we can see all the decorative skulls. And then as we pop over to the other side, there were a couple of buzzards that we saw weaving in and around the low hills on Wednesday. And here in this minute, they show up. One has this very cool buzzsaw arm that rotates around on the top of one. And so he gets real close into the tanker and starts trying to cut away at it unsuccessfully. And there's a guy behind him. So there are two very quickly approaching on the cab. And Ace comes back to the window and he shouts into it. He says, ready? And he and Furiosa do something that is so freaking awesome. (laughs) It is. And the fact that he says ready tells me that this is a practiced maneuver Mm -hmm. that has a scenario that has been met so they're going to do this thing and they don't communicate in any other way ace doesn't come to the side and call a play so that they're both in agreement (laughs) on what's about to happen all he does is say ready he doesn't pop his head in the window and yell blue 42 yeah (laughs) Uh, blue 42 not a fan of that one doesn't work before we talk about what they do because it is freaking awesome we get a shot in the cab. Furiosa stomps down on her accelerator, and there's a little latch that holds it in place. But the accelerator pedal itself is what is called a Brannock device, which is a measuring instrument invented by Charles F. Brannock for measuring a person's shoe size. So oh, I yeah. pulled a bunch of information off the Wikipedia page, so get <laughs> ready for an info dump here. Ahem. <laughs> <laughs> The son of a shoe industry entrepreneur, Brannock spent two years developing a simple means of measuring the length, width, and arch length of the human foot. He eventually improved on the wooden Ritz stick, which was the industry standard of the day, patenting his first prototype in 1925, with an improved version coming in 1927. The device has both left and right heel cups, and is rotated through 180 degrees to measure the second foot. Brannock later formed the Brannock Device Company to manufacture and sell the product and headed the company until 1993 when he died at the age of 89. This week on Doughboys. The Brannock Device Company was headquartered in Syracuse, New York until shortly after Charles Brannock's death. Salvatore Leonardi purchased the company from the Brannock estate in 1993 and moved manufacturing to a small factory in Liverpool, New York. The company continues to manufacture several models of the device for determining the shoe sizes of men, women, and children. They also produce specialized models for fitting other types of footwear. What would be included in other types of footwear? (laughs) Not all people's feet are the same. Say they probably have a version of the Brannock device that's made out of some sort of ugly foam that they use for sizing Crocs. Uh. Or maybe uh, (laughs) some sort of nautical rubber for sizing flippers for divers and whatnot. Yeah, maybe. I was thinking more along the lines of measuring feet that are deformed in some way for customized shoes. Yeah. 
Possibly. <laughs> it took him two years to develop that thing? Yeah. All right. I'll definitely <laughs> give it some credit of being more sophisticated than meets the eye. Yeah. But really? Two years? Well, rapid prototyping was not a thing in 1923. This is true. Yeah. He was probably making his prototypes by hand, probably out of like balsa wood, and then he had to send it out somewhere to get pressed out of metal or something like that. I, I, I don't know. Okay. Like I said, I read the Wikipedia page. I didn't read his biography. <laughs> <laughs> Did this come before or after like the regulation of shoe sizes? I'm willing to bet that it came after the implementation of regulated shoe sizes because you look at the late 1800s, early 1900s, that was the time where ordering stuff from catalogs was real big. Sears. So you'd need some sort of standardized sizing to work with. Yeah. I would even throw that to even earlier and thinking the Civil War mm. and just like mass production of shoes and you'd get one that was close enough kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> So you just got a pair of boots if you were enlisted? So I might even throw standardization to even earlier. Yeah, I think it was in the Civil War where the idea of a mass-produced, small, medium, large garment was produced. That they would make uh, general categories of size. General category? Yes. This is an action-packed minute talking about shoe sizes. <laughs> the important thing is that the war rig has a cruise control function. <laughs> that is rather uh, mechanical in nature. And it allows Furiosa to grab a small crossbow pistol and it's loaded with these explosive charges. And so she grabs onto the door of the war rig, swings out. And meanwhile, Ace is hanging on to the side of the war rig there. And they do this awesome move where they're hanging off the side of the machine. He's got... An M79 grenade launcher with a pistol grip and vertical foregrip, a breech-loading style grenade launcher that fires 40 millimeter grenades and is known for the thump sound it makes when it fires. But they do this combo attack that obliterates this buzzard car. Dope. This maneuver, I just can't get enough of it. I love just watching it over and over again. It's just so awesome. And I love the unspoken teamwork perfect i love it i think the icing on the cake for this maneuver is the fact that they blow up the first car and the second car just careens into the first one and so you could argue it's killing two birds with two stones because two of them fired their weapons but you know what <laughs> it's two birds with one stone i'm calling it right here mm -hmm. i also like furiosa's little crossbow mm -hmm. and we know how much George Miller likes to repeat imagery. So this is definitely a repeated imagery of Wes's little wrist-mounted crossbow. And he's not the only one that had a little crossbow pistol. Auntie Entity had one too, right? Yep, in the penthouse. Although hers didn't look like it exploded when she shot it. I think it was just a The world arrow. has definitely evolved since previous movies. Fuel is no longer an issue, which is extremely evident in this movie. And how many... And how much flamage there is. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Gas Town has a surplus right now. It's a flowing. <laughs> so we're starting to get to the end of the minute. So if there's anything you guys want to bring up before I start talking about the way the cars tumble away at the end, now is the time to bring it up. Condra, I'll let you go first. For me, watching it through for the first time, well, when I was first watching it, this was the first time I realized that Furiosa had a prosthetic arm. 
which might have taken me a little bit, all things considered. But just like that little element kind of like, this is super cool. She's amazing and fierce and super well coordinated. Plus, there's this other thing going on with her that isn't necessarily super explored in the film, but just something that like, it's just like a nice little character point that it doesn't need to be explored, but she has a backstory that maybe we don't know the full scope of. Yeah, I like that her prosthetic arm, it is a part of her, it is a part of how she functions, but it's not an important part of the movie. Mm-hmm. Because she functions in such a way that it does not matter. You mean it's almost like she's a person first and someone who uses a prosthetic second? Yeah. Like, Whoa. people look at her like she's a normal person and they don't just stare at the prosthetic all the time? Yeah. Yeah. At no point did they, like, put a gun on her, like, instead of her prosthetic arm. She's like, now I have a gun arm. <laughs> yeah. In the meantime, one buzzard car has blown up. Second car crashed into it. We have now eliminated three of the four buzzard vehicles that we were previously aware of. But as these vehicles tumble away and create this big cloud of black smoke as it's burning, uh, something else comes and it bursts through these vehicles and it is an even larger buzzard vehicle. More specifically, it's an MAN 6x6 tractor with an armored backhoe bolted to its bed with, as the wiki page describes, over 1,700 spikes covering its entire body. Whoa. Very cool. It's called the Excavator. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> this thing is scary, and I love the way it's presented to us, like coming out of the cloud. And when we see it, I don't believe people on the rig can see it. I think it's revealed to us before it's revealed to the war boys. Yeah. Which is a very intimidating and full of tension yeah. reveal. It's got a great entrance. I'll give it that mm -hmm. for sure. Especially because it comes at the tail end of an already like cool shot where we see the rig driving by and then we go through some smoke and then it's revealed in the back of that smoke. It reminds me of the meme, this isn't even my final form. Like we've defeated the <laughs> sub bosses and now the big boss shows up. <laughs> we'll have plenty of time talking about that next week. But in the meantime, Condra and Tyler, thank you so much for joining us this week. You've been great. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you. Is there anywhere that you would like to point people to go to to find more of your stuff on the internet? One of the easiest places is our website slash feed that has links to our Twitter account as well. That's amateurnerds.podbean.com. Amateur Nerds is our handle and online presence in many regards. So you can also find us on Twitter there. So you can go on Twitter and let the amateur nerds know who you would F Mary kill between... Hux, Nux, and a million bucks, or a guy in a tux. Throw that in there, too. Whatever you like. <laughs> if you like my personal comedic stylings, you can follow my personal Twitter page, at Tyler Booty. That's at T-Y-L-E-R-B-O-U-D-Y. I'll talk all about the general, including how, in the general, we also had a woman drive the train, which was very cool, much like how Furiosa drives the rig. Mm. That was my last little fun fact. And yeah. <laughs> Excellent. As for us, we are going to be coming back on Monday because this fight is far from over because the buzzards have this new fearsome weapon arriving on the scene to terrorize the war rig. But unbeknownst to the buzzards, things are about to get even more exciting because the advance party from the Citadel fleet, that's about to show up too. 
The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute, like us on Facebook by searching for MadMaxMinute, and join our Facebook listener group, MadMaxMinute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com, where you can see what's in our Tee Public store, join our Patreon, or even donate to the show to help us keep the tanks full. Thank you for joining us for Minute 21 of Fury Road. We'll see you next time.